When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer Dr Sam Willis and he is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He's Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising object oozing with unexpected historical significance and this week it's windows. Which of course is all about hurling people out of windows, which is called defenestration. Which of course obviously started the Thirty Years' War. Very good. And it's also to do with conservatories on the back of warships and the history of the view. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. We're proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows coming soon. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio googling through history, exploring the history of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like lightning, hats, bubbles, even fear. Oh, and I've got a new thing about the history of zebras, so we've got to include that as well. Brilliant. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how everything has a history, and crucially, how those histories link in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, that the history of hair could be linked to the Duke of Wellington and the great man in history? Or the history of Tudor toilets and habits could be related to the savage politics of the reign of Henry VIII. Quite literally, history from the bottom up. <laughs> the man sitting opposite me is the maestro of millennia, the emperor of eras, a true heavyweight of history, a svelte heavyweight. It's Professor James Daybell. Hello, hello, hello. And the man sitting opposite me is a swashbuckler straight back from the Silk Road, Dr Sam Willis. Together we will be piloting you on this uncharted and frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Now each week one of us will take the lead and this week it's my turn. So Daybell, are you ready? I am ready. What are you gonna What are you gonna tell me about this week? Well, this week it's windows, and I want you to just off the top of your head, what do you think about the history of windows? The history of windows. The first thing I think about windows is curtains, nice. links to the history of privacy. The second thing I think about is 
smashing windows, <laughs> throwing stones through windows of different periods throughout history, Nazi Germany and Reformation England. And TVs through windows, rock and roll. TVs, TVs through windows, rock and roll. I'm also thinking about the kinds of places that windows are in, whether they're in churches, whether they're in houses, whether they're in castles, slits for protection, windows for warmth, windows and privacy, ways of looking yeah. out of windows. I think the, the idea about curtains actually is, is particularly interesting because it's, you're kind of denying the view immediately. Yeah. So, so either, be, either you can't look out or you can't look in. What do you do behind closed windows? Oh, very good. The so, social and sexual life of, of the modern world. And of course there's the whole looking. You know, looking, looking out, looking in, what are you looking at? I mean, I'm looking out at my garden now, and that's been cultivated. I'm very proud of my garden, but that says a great deal about me, about my interest in gardening, about the access to plants, about the tools I can use, where I get my plants from, where those plants have come from. And it is a very large window. <laughs> it is a are, very large window. You are intending to look out, that you are intending to look out, and that itself has a history. Yeah. You know, and you can think of 16th, 17th century development of windows to look out over grand landscapes and gardens that are beautifully designed purely for that kind of ostentatious... With very small panes. With very small panes, yeah. yeah. And here, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have floor-to-ceiling glass windows. <laughs> yeah. And also what we haven't thought of is defenestration. Okay. Literally throwing people out of windows, which connects in a very odd way to the start of the Thirty Years' War. Does it? Prague... 1618, three men chucked out of a window, 30, no, ooh, 70 foot drop, ooh. they survived, um, and it started the Thirty Years' War. Throwing people out of Throwing windows. Throwing people out of the window, which has an even earlier history, yeah. back to the 16th century, again in Prague. Wonderful. Well, listen, the thing that got me onto this, I'm going to show you something now, from okay. my uh, special study... Uh, and this is the advantage of having done a PhD in naval history. I have things like this in my house. Are you ready? We have a roll. We have a long roll of paper here. Yes, come out of a, a cardboard okay. shape, right? Let's have a look. Hold on to that end. I'll grab this end. Oh my! Oh my God! What is this? So what I need you to do is actually look at this end of this. Right. Uh, let's just come round here. There we go. I have seen this. I, this is a. This is a ship. That's right, it is the um, line drawing of an 18th century French warship. Right. Now let's just come around. With windows. With windows, are that's these, the are point. These, are these portholes? Um, now these are, no. these are, these are, these are, are gun ports here. Right. But here you have a highly decorated stern of an 18th century French warship, and it is the Temeraire. Right. Um, so this is the original ship which was captured from the French, and then we have the name Temeraire in our navy. Turner paints the fighting Temeraire. And on So this is a French warship. Look how heavily ornate the stern is. And look here, they've even got a balcony. Whoa. So you've got these amazing windows on the back of a sailing warship. So why would they why would they have that? What would be the what would be the purpose of that? Well, I'd have thought a warship is about it's about defence. Yeah. Are they sort of cocking a snoop at people as they sail off? Well, I mean it's really interesting. I mean, I what got me into this whole idea actually was the there's a window in the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. They've got mm. one up on the wall, which was raised up from a wreck of the Implacable, which is a French ship that fought at Trafalgar, and they put it up on the wall. Now, the problem with that is that when you were standing down in the National Maritime Museum looking up through it, all you could see through the window was the blank wall six inches behind it, and it struck me that they were completely missing the point. And actually, what you needed to be able to do is to understand the view through the window. 
So if you think about what's going on here, the sailing warship is a, an instrument of war which sailed all around the world. Now, the walls of that thing are three feet thick mm. in oak. Mm. And some moron <laughs> or someone has decided to put the equivalent of a conservatory on the back of a tank. And no one seemed to kind of raise an eyebrow at that. And no maritime historian, no historian at all that I've ever known about has actually questioned what on earth was going on. Why did they create such a vulnerable part on their ship, which they were going to go and wage war? And, and um, it struck me that these ships are symbols of empire rather than just military machines. Mm. And so what they're doing is they're sailing around the world literally flying the flag for the British Empire, more than just fighting, or as well as just fighting. They spent very little time actually fighting. And so what they're doing is they're transporting ideas and beliefs of the culture from where they came to then show across to, uh, to America, you know, to the Caribbean, and then beyond. And it's all to do, I think, with being enlightened. Windows mm -hmm. are access to light and air. Yeah. Only officers were allowed to look out of their windows. It was very much linked with the officer corps. The average sailor was down below in the decks in the darkness. They only had access to artificial light. And it wasn't just a matter about being... Well, it was very important being enlightened in this period in the 18th century. But what mattered more was that you were seen yeah. to be enlightened. Yeah. It's kind of the symbolism of how you think how you behave, rational thoughts, morals, all of those things which were crucial to the 18th century. And I think that that somehow was so important that it transferred to ship design, essentially. I think it reflects a society mm. that's almost unhappy or certainly very self-conscious about the violence it is waging around the world. And they want to kind of legitimise it somehow. To, it's a bit like uniforms, which brings mm. us on to the very important question of the history of uniforms. Why do you dress up smart to fight? Because you are legitimising yeah. it. You are saying, I am actually civilised, even if I'm down in the gutter strangling someone with my bare hands. So the same is with the sea. They're actually blowing six tonnes of shit out of each other with cannons and trying to cut each other's heads off. But they're, they're doing it in a kind of civilised way. And it's, and it's not just about people looking out, it's about it, it's about the way in which people are looking at these windows. I think that's the other thing, that people are, as the ship sails away, people behind them are looking, are looking at it. These well, that, are, that's a key point. These are status. The windows symbols. face backwards. Yes. Which is really weird. It's not, you'd, you'd kind of assume they'd face forward so you could see where you were going, but they don't. It's all about leaving. Right. I mean, I have, an, I, have, I have, when I think about windows, I think about not just looking out of windows, but I think about looking at windows. Yeah. And I think in particular of stained glass windows. Okay. And, you know, beautifully sort of decorative stained glass windows that we, we can trace the origin of this, back, this practice back to, say, ancient Egypt, Rome, early Christian churches. We've got some very sort of early finds of stained glass windows. And there's a technique, you know, what people would... Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Do was use sort of metallic salts to color the windows in the manufacturing process. Then you would you'd sort of piece it all together. Uh, and make a sort of intricate pattern out of it or design that people would, would, would sort of look at. By the 17th century, you're finding that windows are being painted rather than sort of put together in this kind of mosaic fashion. And it's fascinating where they are. They are in churches, they're in mosques, they're in places like Parliament, mm. they're in uh, stately homes. And so the imagery that you have, is it tends to be very biblical, connected to religion, it's connected to family, it's connected to heritage and lineage. Um, did this start off with just people colouring glass and then... And then, and then, and then, piece, keep, and then piecing it, piecing de- it Decorating together. it so yeah. that you're looking yeah. at a scene of something. The, yeah. the window itself yeah. becomes a painting, becomes a work of art. The window becomes... And, and it develops over time. So in the, in the sort of, I suppose, um, high Middle Ages, so from 1000 to sort of 1350, something like that, we can't be you know, too exact with that kind of time frame. It's connected to Romanesque and Gothic architecture, certainly in churches. And that's when you get these enormous sort of round rose windows, you know, like the, the sort of um, cathedral at Chartres. Yeah. Um, but one of the most fascinating um, examples of stained glass windows that I've seen is in a castle in Sweden. Right. Just outside of Lund. And 18th century windows, and they've got these very ornate windows the room is sort of incredibly decorative very on hate and you go up to the windows and you look at them and there are these little sort of doodlings of pornography oh, right. literally couples copulating yeah which again feeds back to sort of 18th century sensibilities and that, that you were sort of talking about earlier on but also what's imagine fun- the impact of people looking oh. at this wonderful window go oh oh what are they doing as you're touring around this this exhibition <laughs> at Scarhold Schlott uh, which has a has wonderful exhibition at the moment and and you know they've had 50,000 people through it and i think people are sort of quietly quietly shocked as they go up and they view these windows but the other thing that i'm fascinated by is about how and i think what you showed really well was about how you connect something as simple as a window to a much greater kind of movement like the Enlightenment. And I can think about how I would connect uh, stained glass windows to something like the Reformation. Okay. And we're back to my, my thing about smashing windows yeah, yeah. earlier on. So stained glass windows are often connected to Catholicism. Um, in England, the Reformation comes in, rise of Protestantism. You have widespread smashing of windows. Because they're such a powerful symbol of the church. Um, they're a powerful symbol of the church. They're, they often depict saints. They're connected to idolatry. And so it's part of this kind of, this sort of iconoclasm that you see throughout the, um, throughout the sort of 16th century. Have you ever wandered past um, Exeter Cathedral? We both live in Exeter. Have you ever wandered past Exeter Cathedral and looked at the statues on the outside yeah. of, of the cathedral mm-hmm. and wondered why they've, they don't have noses. Yeah. <laughs> this is because people have swiped those noses right. in the past. And this, ha- this happened to windows. And so what we had in the sort of mid-16th century was widespread smashing of windows. 
And so, so the design and the art of creating stained glass windows as a craft died out. So it really connects us, something like windows connects us to historical themes about the Reformation. And there was an attempt to, in some cases, for people to actually hide these windows, to sort of take bits out, put them away for safekeeping. Well, that's also linked to the window tax as well, which, is, so, which yeah. raises the very important question of taxes and windows. So, I mean, I first noticed this when I was travelling in Paris a decade ago, and it's very noticeable in certain parts of Paris, as it is in the UK, but for me it was more noticeable in Paris, where there are these huge, wonderful buildings where there should be a eight-foot-high sash window, and it's gone. It's been, it's been bricked up, and that's linked with... The government's trying to raise tax yeah. by taxing the number of windows you had. So this is late 17th century. It goes on to kind of yeah. mid-19th yeah. mid yeah. century, yeah. I think. And it's windows as an index of class and wealth, rather like your, your enormous sort of bifold doors that you have here uh, in the living room. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's windows as a status symbol. This is the, you know, this is the equivalent... Of, of Thatcher's poll tax. But it was then, in the, in the 17th century, it was windows as opposed to income tax. Yeah. So yeah. No, no one wanted to declare their income. And that is again links back to the, yeah. the interesting yeah. history of privacy. They yeah. said, actually, no, I am not going to tell you what it is. And they said, all right, well, we'll just count the number of windows you've got. Which is why you see bricked up windows on, ha on large sort of houses from that period yeah. today. And so some, some things were exempt from it. Um, I know dairies. Uh, is one of the things mm. we're exempt from it, which is one of the reasons why why you have the name of the building or the the function of a building often chiselled in to the, above the lintel on the front door because that proved that they didn't have to be taxed; they could have access to as much light and air as they wanted. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. It is. I mean, I, I think this whole idea of of, of tax is great, um, but for me, one of the wonderful things is is thinking about the view out of the window and it brings me back to how I got into windows on, on sailing warships in the first place because if you if you think about what you're doing so say say you're on a warship and you're in in a cabin actually I've got a really lovely photograph let me just show you this this is a painting from the National Maritime Museum that is Horatio Nelson sitting in his cabin being thoughtful considering his life considering his job but it's very interesting that he's been directly associated with the window and, and he's, he's got this, this lovely soft light coming down on him. But think about what he's looking at out of the window. You see, it's a view of nature from nature. You're, he, he, he's, it's like looking at a painting, but you're kind of in the painting itself. The window is framing the sea as he's travelling along and it's moving as much as if you were looking at him, the window would be framing himself. It would, it would be, mm. be framed himself. Mm. But... It's, it's this, this view of nature, I think, is absolutely critical to what's going on at sea with windows. Because if you think about the opposite of the sea, what's happening on land at this time, this is at the time of parliamentary enclosure, right? So if you're looking at fields, your movement around the country is being restricted by the government. It's being restricted by landowners. There are hedges, there are roads, there are private fields. You can't go wherever you want. And that's getting worse for the first time in recorded history. There are people ploughing up common land. Um, uh, there are people, you know, building hedges and, and stuff and, and, and basically restricting where you go. Whereas at sea, it's completely different because you can actually go anywhere you want. Mm. 
um, one of the the, the, the only way you can kind of compare that experience, I think, in the 18th century is if you're exceptionally wealthy mm. and you're a landowner and you're looking out at your land from the very top window of your massive house out of your enormous window. and You own all of that land. You can go wherever you want. But that experience is, is almost kind of transferred to sea in the 18th century for everyone because mm. you're at sea. No one is controlling where you go, particularly because you're in the Royal Navy. Yeah. Looking at this a different way, what's also interesting is the way in which this is a secluded space in the window is his desk mm -hmm. so it's a source of light so it's about it's about contemplation and it's about withdrawal and if you look architecturally at the way a lot of windows are, are were, were sort of designed there is a sort of a little alcove that you can withdraw into and window seats and, win and yeah. window mm -hmm. seats so they're almost like areas of, of of privacy and withdrawal that you can go to there's a wonderful description of Henry VIII talking to Thomas Cromwell, and he has a there's an ambassador uh, in the presence chamber at court, and the, the Cromwell and, and 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 Henry VIII are talking to the ambassador, and then they withdraw into the window, which is a private you know a very private space. So from a sort of very public area, you withdraw to the window to be private to talk. Jane Austen is full of images of, of women reading in windows. You think of Vermeer portraits as well, very similar to this, women reading letters in, in a window. So the window is a source of light at a time, you know, pre-electricity, you know, it's somewhere where you can, you can actually work, you can study, so yeah. it's connected to that as well. And, and those window seats, I mean, I've certainly come across a handful of those in castles. It's, um, it's, it's, it's seriously old. It's as old as the yeah. window itself. Yeah. I mean, there's there's yeah. a little bench where you can sit and you can enjoy the view. Even if there's no yeah. glass in it, yeah. you've got a slit, you've got your something. And it's not a matter of defence. I mean, it is absolutely purely for relaxation, for sitting there and having a think about, you know, contemplating your life, contemplating your position, your situation in the world. Where do we go from here? Windows? I mean, I don't curtains know. Curtains. Curtains. We, 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 we need a history of curtains. I know almost nothing about the, no. the history of curtains. This is where we should be Googling through history to find a, the, the history of curtains. When were curtains invented? Curtains and privacy shutting out the light. Well, the, interestingly, the problem with windows is drafts. So yes. they must have... It's, it's all very well allowing access to light and air and being a nice, enlightened person. But at the same time, you're human and you don't really want to be that enlightened. No, no. <laughs> there are limits. And glazing. Yes. Glazing, double glazing, the history of double glazing and how that connects to, to vampires. <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> I think we'll leave vampires for another time. Thank you all very much for listening. And don't forget that you podcast listeners are the third and most important part of this podcast. So do get in touch with us on Facebook, on Twitter, by email, and come up with any, any links that we might have missed, any thoughts for future podcasts. It's been fun. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.